0: This is the last episode of this series, Season 3, Episode 12, debriefing the World Cup final. Going to go through the goals, what I think the tactics were from each team, how Argentina managed to let France back into the game, a little bit on the kind of technical actions, some key passes, goal saves, what it means for Messi to have won it, like kind of what you value as a fan of football and what you want from the game, um, and then also have a think about how... France kind of come back from this and what they look like at the next tournament um, and some of those players that are going to be involved. I think first thing to say really is like maybe the best game I've ever watched in terms of what was at stake, the caliber of both teams and some of the quality that was on display. Just so much fun to watch and feel like you're actually watching something special don't know how many times i've had that watching like big games at the world cup before i think if i think back to like watching champions league finals i remember when united won the treble that felt like oh my gosh that's amazing um i think when zidane threw the headbutt that was obviously an unbelievably significant moment and i also think when uh, when barcelona were having that run when they beat United in well 2009, but I think more so 2011, and also when they beat Juventus in 2015. I remember watching those and thinking, this is really, really, really special. And there's no question that last night was that as well. I wanted to primarily, to begin with, think about some of the ways that the the goals happened. And that first penalty, the way that they are able to work it wide, in my opinion, came about as a result of Di Maria being really, really high and wide for the, I think that happened in the 20-something minute, for the time before that, he was already really, really dangerous and taking up positions that meant that they could really, really stretch the pitch. And there were some longer passes that got him the ball in good positions to be able to attack whoever was in front of him. But the way that they get the ball out wide with that little uh, first-time volley pass from Alvarez was phenomenal. And I think it's probably significant that it was Dembele who had to try and deal with him. Earlier on in the tournament, I kind of looked at how Mbappe not defending and not being part of the plan for France to defend kind of has ramifications down the pitch. And that, to me, was no question a factor in Dembele having to be really, really deep and deal with the opposite winger, like not something that I think if he was given the choice, he'd have to do. And definitely an an element of Di Maria just being really, really good at close control dribbling, that chop to change direction and then touch out his feet to accelerate away was was brilliant. I don't think I, even for a moment, thought that Messi was going to miss, which is really interesting because he's like... I think he's a completely average penalty taker from looking at some of the numbers. Like he's exceptional at literally everything apart from taking penalties where he's just normal. But great penalty. And then the second goal was, I think, as good as there's been this tournament. in in. Well, it, it, again, it depends on what you want from a goal. But like for me, having a team play forward passes and have runners running forward as after they've played those is perfect like that's absolutely my bag in terms of what I would like to see from teams looking to try and create and the run from McAllister after playing the pass obviously the Messi around the corners, great Alvarez again brilliant pass to release McAllister and Di Maria like times his run and that finish is it's just brilliant the Ozil kind of bounce finish um you know it's it's that But it's that like on an angle and it's that with the ball moving at speed, which is, yeah, incredibly difficult to do. I've actually started doing that a little bit in uh, warm-ups I do with our goalkeeper before the game. We do some handling work and we do uh, some, yeah, W's and cups and some scoops. And then I chuck in some of those where it could bobble up to become a cup or with like without changing the shape of my foot I can still make that L shape and punch through the middle of the ball with the inside of my foot but it could either go along the floor or pop up really really difficult to deal with unbelievably good finish um and then I think Argentina were just in control like the way that France have got their way through the tournament has been to have those periods where everything's just about all right like they're not out of it in the games where they've scored early, they're obviously in the game because they're either leading or if they haven't um if they haven't scored they're kind of level and everything's just about okay um but the extent to which the game was over i i thought was pretty astonishing, given what then went on to happen given was pretty astonishing given what went on to happen and I I heard a couple of people say, you know, it was once Di Maria went off that that changed the game. I think it, I mean, before that, making the subs that uh, that France did to to take off Giroud and Dembele, I think like we were thinking about that as that was happening because in a weird way, we thought that that might benefit Argentina because they would know that the players coming on had to, well, they knew at half time how to change their plan based on what France had done like, I feel like keeping those subs until half time could have maybe given them a better chance to have the impact they wanted and up until what 70 minutes 74 minutes Argentina was still in control of the game I don't think there's any question about that and it was it was I think uh, Musa Conga said it on Stadio when he said that it was like when they took Di Maria off that was like the kind of recognition that the game was done and that like they didn't need him anymore and yeah given what went on to happen I just, uh, I just that's why you love football and I think that's why it's so exciting to think about what Mbappe is going to be capable of given that he's 23 like he's nowhere near his final form as a player and he's Still, the biggest like threat, like he can affect the game in just seconds, and I don't know how Argentina let France back into the game. I think there were spells they had where they were really good at dealing with bits of pressure. Um, I met up with Drew this morning and we looked at well, looked at we talked about how Rodrigo De Paul was able to just like break pressure either by protecting the ball and getting fouled or protecting it, protecting it and passing it into an area where there was no pressure, like those pressure-breaking passes, pressure-releasing passes. And then they just weren't able to do that. I mean, the goal, well, the way that France get their first penalty, Mbappe kind of flicks it over the top. And Otamendi is like, he's got a bit of space. There's a bit of space uh, between him in the ball. So he's got to cover a bit of space, but I, I don't think he can actually be in any other position than he is any deeper than Mbappe would play it into feet. And if he's any higher, he wouldn't even be able to get back and even concede the penalty. So I think that's pretty tricky, particularly when you're up against someone who's so much more mobile and so much quicker than you. Um, and maybe there was a chance for him to clear the ball, but I actually don't know whether there was. I've looked at it a couple of times. I think it's just an awkward pass to deal with and the player you're up against is going to get round you. Mbappe going the same way on three penalties is pretty astonishing. I thought Martinez was, like of the three, I think that was the one where he had the chance to save it. But then 90 seconds later, the second goal... Which I mean, it comes from like Messi losing the ball, which he so rarely does, particularly like over the halfway line. He's normally so good at just kind of keeping it, and he's happy staying in possession of the ball. Um, I think it's Coman who nicks it, and then they like have the chance to play forward. He has the chance to play it forward, but he doesn't. Uh, I think that's a really, really interesting way to look at that move, which is like you play backwards to play forwards with the next pass because he could look to slide the ball into the channel but he doesn't he waits for Rabiot to get into a position to offer the angle plays it backwards Rabiot plays it out I don't even think it's a particularly good pass from Rabiot like Mbappe makes it look good because he plays a one-two and the first pass is a header but I don't think it's I don't think that was ideal what is astonishing is the space that Mbappe creates after his header like he I think pretty much plays a square pass with his header and then looks to run in behind and he has he probably has two big steps between him and the closest defender to him after being literally marked touch tight in between the header and receiving the the second part of the one two for the volley Um, technique on the volley is amazing I've heard I'm sure you have as well, heard loads of people talk about how difficult that technique is for the volley. So I don't think there's too much to talk about that. I think what is amazing is that he didn't feel like he needed to take a touch. That level of confidence to just know that that was an action that he had like readily available to execute is pretty amazing. And yeah, the little the little pass over the top, really, really good as well and then all of a sudden it's 2-2 and then it's extra time and I think what's amazing for extra time is that the game didn't drop off it was still brilliant the uh the 3-2 goal that Argentina score that longer pass looks a bit kind of out of kilter with how they'd been able to get up the pitch or how they had looked to get up the pitch earlier in the game i think slightly different when Lautaro Martinez Lautaro I can't say his name Lautaro Martinez is on the pitch because he offers something a little bit different and the way that his touch sets up someone I think it's Messi being able to like arrive on the ball and and go forwards is something it's actually something that I'm looking to try and coach more and more of which is like playing backwards to play forwards Like break a line to drop it underneath to then go and play or up, back and through as a little combination. And it was perfect, really, really nicely worked. There's, I think, a world in which Lloris concedes the first one and then it's like an even better goal. But uh, Messi on hand for the tap-in. Tap-in's a bit, uh, that's diminishing it probably slightly. But Messi's on hand to turn in the rebound. And uh, I thought that was that. I think on the, I was watching the BBC commentary. I think on the ITV commentary, they say, and ha, like, you know, has Messi won the World Cup? And you think, uh probably wouldn't say that given there's 12 minutes left and they've just conceded two goals in 90 seconds about 15 minutes ago. But that was a really, really good chance. And then for the France equaliser, initially I just thought corner half cleared and then there's a handball. I do think, I think it's many. He sort of punches the ball to Mbappe. So I'm not sure whether that um, should have... Well, I'm surprised that wasn't looked at given when you watch it back, it really, really does look like it could be handball. And Mbappe scores a penalty brilliantly. And then we get penalties. And it was it was good that they both scored. I don't know how I feel about the Martinez stuff. He's clearly like bit of a character I mean the way that he like took the golden glove and did that sort of like I don't know it was not not for me but there's no question that it kind of gets in to the opposition in the penalty shootout like that he's he's going to do anything to try and stop you scoring and he yeah he did really well I mean the, the save from the second penalty he saves it with his chest like he's dived so well he's literally got his hands past the ball, his hands are like just about level with the post, so it's an enormous dive saves it, and then yeah, I guess upsets too many enough to drag the penalty wide and that's that I think there's a lot to think about with regards to what it means for Messi to have won the World Cup before last night, and if a couple of Argentina players had missed penalties i think he still would be the best player that i've ever seen but there's an element of i think sid lowe said it where like he's completed football it's phenomenal that he has a world cup to his name and he's obviously a huge part of the team that won it He was the player of the tournament i am pretty adamant that it's not particularly close between him and the other players of this generation. And I say that as someone who's very, very heavily influenced by performances that I see live. Now, the best Messi performance I saw, and I've seen him a few times, was uh, Spurs 2, Barcelona 4 at Wembley, when Spurs were playing their Champions League games at Wembley, the year that Spurs lost to Liverpool in the final. Now, that game... He, within a minute, like plays this really brilliant pass to open Spurs up. Jordi Alba gets him down the left, cuts it back. I don't know if you can picture the goal, but Lloris comes flying out and then Coutinho scores from the edge of the box. He was so impressive, but during the game, I couldn't work out whether he was having a brilliant game, and that's why I was so impressed, or he was just having a normal game. But that was really, really impressive. Later on in the game, he like scores the two goals that wrap the game up for them, but was just in complete control of everything the whole time. And this is a few years ago where I think the extent to which the spells that he had where he would dominate the game were longer. But I don't know whether he was having more of those spells than he does now. I just think those spells lasted longer. And... It was only when I remember looking back at like the highlights and commentary and all that sort of stuff where you realise, oh no, that was actually an unbelievable performance that you've just seen, as opposed to an unbelievable player just being normal. And the I mean, the question around like who the best players are, to me is just like the question straight back at someone would be like, Well, what do you want from a footballer? Like, what is it that you value as a fan of football as a coach of a team as someone who's having this debate discussion like what what do you want from it like for me what i want from football are like special moments and things that i'm gonna remember and have moments provided by players where very few if not no other players could do them and there's no question that Messi gives you that over and over and over and over again um, with regards to like what you value as a fan of football like for me the, the stuff around the control of the ball, control of a match, playing for teams and the peak of his club career at any rate was for a team that not only dominated the ball but dominated games and would get into dangerous areas over and over and over and over again and had no problem being put under pressure. They would find their way out of that pressure consistently and he was the biggest part of that. And for him to captain a team that I think through the tournament had like some moments where it didn't seem like it was going to happen is just an unbelievable way for it to... For it to finish, doesn't seem like he's going to play another tournament. So what a, what a way to to finish that off, I suppose. And I was supporting Argentina kind of for the messy stuff, just so that we could kind of put that debate to bed. I think that, well, I would argue that that debate is, is over now. But more so because I think France are going to, be back in 4 years, 8 years, 12 years and be unbelievable still like that's the biggest the biggest takeaway for me apart from like Messi, best player ever kind of deal done um, is thinking that France won it last time they were very very close to winning it this time and they'll surely be as close as anyone to winning the next one, like the I said this after the um, semi-final as well, but the way that their bench is set up to be able to control games and play different styles is astonishing. There is legitimately like a team for France at the next Euros and at the next World Cup with Saliba Canate and Upa Meccano as, as a back three I mean, I I just don't understand how a team would score a goal against them. Camavinga, who is clearly, like, going to be a huge part of that team, already, like, played big, big, important minutes for Real Madrid in the team that won the Champions League, like, came on and played some minutes at left-back and, like, was fine there and was doing things that felt like he could... Like, he was playing as a central midfielder, he was doing things that central midfielders do but at left back so imagine if he was doing them in central midfield many and him I, I just don't see <laughs> how anyone can can compare like they're kind of if you think that Pogba and Kante are out like your third fourth or fourth fifth with Rabiot like fourth fifth choice central midfielders are already elite and they're like teenagers or just turned 20 like it's it's pretty frightening I don't think that France and I said this to Luce, like it, through the tournament they didn't miss Kanté or Pogba really. It's just like those two were injured and it just didn't really matter. But I think there's a case that they missed particularly Pogba for me in in this game where like someone who could have just been confident and consistent with good forward passes to try and get them up the pitch but didn't didn't uh didn't work out that way. But Camavinga and Tchouameni with Mbappe, like a 27-year-old Mbappe with probably another couple of good Champions League runs behind him, able to play wide, able to play centrally depending on what else France have available at that time, like those six players are like frighteningly good and I think that's the word that I would just came would come back to and came back to over and over again yesterday looking at Mbappe was just like he's terrifying I think Barry Glendenning had a bit where he talked about uh doing like a virtual reality like experience and one of the things that you could do in the experience was like be a defender and have Mbappe running at you and he said it was like the scariest thing he's ever had happen to him in his life there it is it is it is scary it's frightening how fast he is particularly from standing still to full speed like those two three enormous steps like go go gadget bouncy springy long legs are amazing and i think if you think about a, you know how can how can a player who's already elite become better over the next four years a big part of that to me is going to depend on who coaches him but also who are the players that he's going to play with and there is I think so much stuff that you could do to make him even more dangerous and take those 90 second spells well that 90 second spell or the multiple 10, 15 second spells he has where he's clearly the most dangerous player on the pitch and just make more of them happen and if that happens like he he will do as much in the game as anyone who has ever kind of come before him if you think that he you know won the World Cup at 19 was an enormous part of that team had a great chance to win the Champions League against Bayern Munich that Bayern Munich team were unbelievable like he just came up against an unbelievable team. He's a penalty shootout away from his second World Cup. It's it's ludicrous what um, what he's going to be capable of doing. And I think also as well, it's something that probably doesn't get spoken about as much. But the you know I, there's been a lot of stats and and um, information around like how many players, how many World Cups different players have played at. A huge part of that is just like are you born in a year that will mean that when you're good enough to be at a tournament you're still really young. So like if you're nineteen like Mbappe was at your first World Cup, yeah, you're gonna have loads of them in him, in you. But he could have been twenty two at his first World Cup and then he probably loses one. Like a lot of that is just kind of luck down to where you're when you were born as much as are you good enough as a as a teenager. But I don't think France have two I don't think they can it sounds silly to say because obviously just lost devastating fashion the World Cup and you came back and went behind and came back again but like you won the last one you're probably gonna be favourites for the next one like let the let the other let the other kids have a go I think also to just wrap this up wanted to mention a bit on like how watching a game can be different depending on who's commentating and, like, for me, Ali McCoist is the one commentator, co-commentator, like, person who talks during the game who seems to be as excited as I am or as excited as anyone else watching the game is. And I just think that is so undervalued and so underrated in a football-watching experience. Like, it's just so good having him be willing to just like openly acknowledge that what is happening is exciting and really 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 fun Um, and he does it in a way that I think if you're like the main commentator you can probably dial that up a little bit more because you're the one who's going to be describing what's going on but the way that he like immediately will interject and not interrupt like he'll he'll say what he thinks like second after it's happened, or as the main commentator is is like wrapping up the description of something he'll say brilliant and like do it in a really really good way. I just think he's fantastic, and finally, I just think it's worth mentioning England and a little bit on Kane. I felt like coming into this tournament that Kane would be more of a Penalty box striker, traditional number nine, than he is for Spurs. And I thought that for a couple of reasons. One, he, I think, pretty explicitly said that he wanted to win the Golden Boot. The best way for him to do that was to be around the box. But two, because England have really, really creative players who can create chances without him needing to drop deep and create chances. Now, he didn't do that as much as I thought he would. And part of the surprise for me was like how well through the tournament anyway, how big a role Henderson had in creating chances, but all of that stems from rice and bellingham I don't think I don't think I realized how good those two were, and Bellingham, particularly not playing in the Premier League, like you see it in the Champions League, but to see him like with all the players that you know intimately on the pitch and still be the best at, like, progressing the ball was amazing. It was amazing. And I really hope, like... So Southgate's going to stay on for the next tournament. I really hope we get to see a world where Rice is, like, kind of tasked to do what he did this tournament. But to be in there in that midfield with Foden and Bellingham... I just think that would be so much fun and it would give England a dynamic that they just don't have and haven't had. There has to be a way, looking at this from a coaching perspective, to like build an attacking system around Foden and Bellingham's abilities because like between them, I think you've basically got everything that you could want a midfielder to do. And Declan Rice is... Just astonishingly good at stopping counterattacks and being just in the right place. He's just in the right place all the time. But that's it for this tournament. That's it for this series. I am recording this on the nineteenth of December. About to have my final week of coaching um, for the calendar year. There are a couple of things that I'm hoping will land in the new year which would really really set me up nicely to to progress as a coach and get some really really good experience with a different type of environment different type of player and be around some some really really good coaches in addition to the ones that I'm working with already like there's no there's no question for me that I'm in a really good spot at Cuffley and Working with Drew, but then also doing the coach development work that I'm doing with Goldiggers and getting the practice at being in a position to support with practice design as well as coaching, like how to intervene, when to intervene, when you change your plan, when you stick with it, all those kinds of things. And looking ahead, like being being around a new a new club um if my practical observation goes well in the new year like that that could really 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 I guess change it would change my life i suppose in a i don't want it to i don't want to put all my hopes on it but i do think it would really 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 suit the kind of coaching that i want to try and do and also it would suit my set up and my pursuit of trying to coach clients as a strength and conditioning personal trainer but also be a really really good all-round football coach who can do position specific work with a goalkeeper but also coach outfield players so that is the plan I will be back with the podcast at the end of January I'll be putting together another 12-week run that will take us through to i would hope a pretty uh busy period um with my with my b license and everything else that's going on but i hope you have enjoyed this series i've had a lot of fun doing it i really appreciate everyone who's listened along and i hope you have a wonderful break and enjoy a bit of time off a bit of downtime and we will catch up in the new year